we're live. Hi, and welcome to Gay Out the City. I'm your host, Prince Lecture Diamond, and today I am here with dancer and Instagram model, Sire Dance. How you doing today, Sexy? I'm good, thank you. How you doing? I am good. Amazing work. So where are you originally from? So uh, I am originally from a little island called Bermuda, really small little country. Uh, you know, I was born and raised there, uh, but I jumped back and forth between there and California, the West Coast. So uh, that's why I don't have a, a Bermudian accent. Uh, my mom is originally from LA, so I spent a lot of my childhood uh, in California. And so that's the accent that ended up sticking with me uh, throughout my life. <laughs> yeah. I will say that's nice. I am an East Coast kid. Mm -hmm. I am born and raised in Florida, pretty much. Nice. I've lived in like South Florida most of my life. I spent four years in Orlando, which mm -hmm. I kind of liked. It was nice to be in a city. And now, as I say, I cannot wait to um fucking leave. <laughs> and I'm moving to literally one of the like I am going like literally polar opposite climate wise but I'm being realistic and going where it's cheap I'm a musician I feel I need to be in a music city so I figured Detroit okay all right yeah yeah I'm not mad at that yeah you know there's a there's a few really great cities for musicians detroit would be one of them and nashville actually is a is a great musician city um as well as memphis uh, i've actually been to both of those places in the last in the last year or two and they are both amazing see i've not thought of well i think i did look at prices in nashville but literally of like so originally i thought i was going to move to atlanta but now upon looking at rent prices i'm like because I've wanted to move to Atlanta like five, six years ago and just wasn't able to make it work. But yeah. Back, back then, Atlanta was like nice and affordable. Now it is not that way at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what the case with most of this country. All of a sudden, uh, you know, after we dealt with uh, with Miss Rona in the pandemic, uh, everything just shot up. So it's it's kind of a miracle if you can find a spot to move to that's affordable. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell people too much about Detroit. I will say this, you can get apartments there for six hundred dollars a month. Like oh yeah. Mm -hmm. That sounds right. <laughs> people said like some people say like it's so unsafe there, you can get shot. I'm like, this is America in like 2023, almost 2024. You can pretty much get shot anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's like, this is the thing. Like, when I lived in Orlando, I lived in the hood. So it's not like I'm not used to being in, like, a poorer neighborhood. But Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, look, there's a, it's a struggle <laughs> anywhere you go in this country. You know, yeah. especially if you are um, queer or a person of color. It's always just going to be a struggle. So, yeah. you know, you, you just got to pick your battles. <laughs> Well, I, I will say this. I have a fat ass. Lots of black guys are into it. So it's like Detroit, perfect area to move to. <laughs> You're like, I need to be somewhere where the color is. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, this part of South Florida, like, if I lived in Miami, I wouldn't complain about South Florida. But, like, this part is, like, so white. Like, it's... Yeah. It's just... It's, it's small-town Florida. It's, like, small... Well, small-town, small-suburb Florida. Like... Yeah. As a queer person, as an artist, you probably know this, like, living in L.A., like, a lot of your life... Artists are meant to be in cities because that's where we're exposed to diversity yeah, and different ways of thinking, not the same way of, oh, let's just focus on rich people and like focus on trying to be rich people, which I'm like, yeah. Some people say artists do that. Yeah. That's called selling out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, sometimes you gotta, sometimes you have to think about uh, your artistry, and then sometimes you have to think about your next meal. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes I mean, that means that you gotta think about, think about that money and be like, ooh, this might come in handy. So, <laughs> or it's like, have a day job. Shit, I have a day job. I don't love it, <laughs> but it like pays the bills because being an artist doesn't pay the bills. You know, I'm a I'm one of those people who's really lucky. I have uh, never had a career. I've never had to have a job outside of my chosen profession. So, uh, you know, for me, thankfully, my artistry does pay the bills, keeps me going. So, uh, you know, it's a rare occurrence. But uh, I am kind of proof that it is it is possible. So if if you're like if you're pushing for it, if you're willing to put in the work, we can totally make it happen. Wait, wait, wait. So you're a dancer who lives in L.A. and has never had to take an outside job outside of dancing. No, I have never had to take a job outside of dancing. You live in South Central. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I don't artist, and I, figured, and I figured that's where you have to live if you're saying I'm an artist who's never had to work another job. No, you know, uh, I yeah, like I said, I'm I'm super lucky, and um, you know, even though I am, uh, you know, partly from California, from the LA area, I don't live there anymore. My uh, my mom's side of the family still lives there. Um, but I actually live in the Vegas area. Uh, oh. So, you know, lots of entertainment there. It's, uh, it's really great. But beyond that, I have always traveled for work for, my, for uh, what I do. So I've always either been in dance companies or I've been in, um, or I've worked on cruise ships as a performer or I've been in big production shows, uh, you know, uh, when I was in college, I used to work at theme parks and I used to do that during my summer breaks, you know. So I've always had a job in dance or in performing arts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Vegas, I mean, well, Vegas is probably cheaper than LA, but not yeah, cheaper than, not cheaper than a lot of the country, but like definitely yeah. cheaper in LA. Oh, most places are cheaper than LA. There's only like a handful of places where it's insane. And that's like New York. <laughs> it's like one of the places where it's insanely expensive to live there. Yeah, I thought about moving to LA at one point, but then I'm like, 
this is my thing. In LA, you have to be like very, you have to be very fake <laughs> to live in LA. And I have a mouth and like, I'm the kind of person where it's like, I will tell you, you are, if if you are honestly talented, I will tell you, you are amazing and great. But if right. I think, but if I think you suck, I'm going to tell you, you suck. Like, yeah. And that's, and I know that kind of behavior does not fly in Hollywood. Cause like, but I'm like, you ain't wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. Hollywood can be very fake. It can be very superficial. Mm. You know, people, people have to play the game in order to, uh, you know, to make their connections. So I get it. It's one of the reasons why, you know, LA has never really been my place as a performer. You know, I, I uh, am not really big on, um, on like commercial dance. Like that's never been my thing. I can do it. It's just not my favorite thing to do. Like, I don't really have any dreams or goals to dance back up for J-Lo or Britney or, you know, or Beyonce. Like, I don't, that's not my vibe. I have tons of friends who do it, you know, and tons of friends who are very successful at it. Uh, but it was never really my thing. So, uh, you know, because of that, I didn't feel a need to to stay there. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think it can get very fake very quick in that city. And plus, first of all, all of those stars are like. First of all, I think most of those pop stars are stupid because it's like you have hot guys and like all of a sudden it's like, yes, you make them not wear shirts. But the next thing you're going to do, you're going to put them in pants. Like <laughs> this, is this is just my thing as a musician. Like if I have backup dancers, you're going to be in they're going to be in like a thong and sneakers. And that's it. Like with like a dancer with like a nice fat ass and like that's what i want <laughs> as i mean look i've i've lived that life before in vegas <laughs> that's why it's like i'm yeah. not, not going to hire professional dancers i'm going to hire go go dancers they're used to working <laughs> like that <laughs> well you know you got to you got to think about not only uh what they're wearing but you got to think about what they can do for you and how they can make your you know, your show look better and all those types of things. And, you know, uh, art, different artists do different things. You know, Gaga was real notorious for, for having uh, the backup dancers and basically nothing, which is always awesome for us. Um, same thing with, uh, you know, Beyonce, every once in a while, she has the, the backup dancers uh, and basically nothing. <laughs> but yeah, it, it all depends on the artist. It depends on what they're going for. Um, and you know, it depends on uh, the dancers sometimes too, because some dancers are like, "No, I'm not comfortable with that." So, <laughs> yeah. Again, as I said, that's why you hire go-go dancers. They're used to working like that. <laughs> like, but anyway, yeah, Gaga's like one of my biggest inspirations as a musician. So, like, that's probably where I get that, and like seeing how she had dancers dress and like the monster ball and like all that. So yeah, definitely yeah. get what you're saying. So, oh yeah. So what was it like for you growing up as a kid? Oh man, it was, it was crazy. You know, I, uh, 
I jumped back and forth between two different countries. <laughs> so that was always a, um, a really interesting experience with my mom being from, from the LA area and my, my dad and my uh, other side of the family being from Bermuda. Um, it was kind of culture shock whenever I would uh, go and visit my dad and my, my dad's side of the family because uh, Bermuda is a British territory. So they have, um, you know, very strict standards for certain things that uh especially like how they feel young people should act and how kids should act uh it's you know you have to be very respectful over there very um very considerate of your elders and that's not necessarily the case of how you're raised in la you know in la it's kind of like whatever <laughs> so uh you know i kind of i kind of contribute the fact that i'm a um a really decent person and a really, uh, really easy person to work with and really professional to the fact that I spent a good bit of my life in Bermuda. So uh, yeah, that was kind of, kind of one of my takeaways from it. But, you know, growing up uh, in LA, it was kind of interesting um, being a young queer kid who like knew that I was into guys and uh, yeah. wasn't, wasn't really sure how to, uh, like how to express that and how my family would take that, especially being um, a queer person of color, you know, being uh, a person of color, being queer is not necessarily something that is celebrated in our community. You know, it's oh, something man. that is very ostracized. So, um, you know, I, I, I dealt with that for a good while. Uh, and then when I moved to Bermuda, it wasn't, it wasn't much better. You know, Bermuda, <laughs> like I said, British territory, but it's super small. It's very much an island mentality. So they kind of, uh, they kind of like to emulate themselves, kind of how the, the Caribbean does, like Jamaica and Barbados and, and Trinidad and how they're all about, you know, this sense of machismo and, you know, uh, you know, being very, uh, very masculine and manly and, you know, nothing about being gay or being a fag or anything like that. That's all, you know, just really looked down upon. So I moved from one extreme to another and had to uh, had to kind of navigate that world. So yeah. um, eventually it became an issue. It became, a, you know, a, a huge hurdle for me to get over. So it was a lot. <laughs> so, okay, I will admit, I don't know much about Bermuda, but I'm saying, if you're saying it's like, a very like macho environment so i'm assuming much like a lot of like territories and islands like that i would imagine Bermuda's kind of like a religious country yeah correct? yeah super religious country yeah well not gonna say anything i had <laughs> i had some problems with religion i was raised catholic well this is the thing I, I got the duality as a kid because, like, yes, I was raised Catholic, but in the other sense, my mom was the one who introduced me to Madonna. So, I mean, like, I got, like, both sides. And, like, in some ways, like, I would say my dad was always, like, the super, super religious one in the family. And then, like, my mom was kind of not. And then, like, my mom got... Um, diagnosed with cancer when I was 15 and then like all of a sudden she started becoming super super religious and that's mm. why did 
I would love to say I was in denial from the ages of like 12 to 18 that I actually was queer. Because mm-hmm. it's like you, you you tell yourself the stupid bullshit like it's, oh yeah, it's just natural to like want to look at guys' asses. Like that's just a natural like thing. Like that's just a part of life. Yeah. No, no it ain't. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that does lead me to my next question. So what was it like for you coming out? Oh man, my my coming out was um, was both <laughs> both um, freeing and also very uh, very traumatic too. You know, unfortunately, like I said, I was in a very um, you know a very kind of hostile environment when it comes to queer people. Um, right. And don't get me wrong, Bermuda is a beautiful country, and it's gotten much better. Um, over the, you know, over the the years. But at the time, I was still, you know, a young man. I, when I came out, I was, uh, I was 14 or 15. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have the, uh, the luxury or the opportunity to come out in my own timing. You know, it was one of those things where my, my parents found out um, that, I was queer, and so it became a whole um, a whole conversation and a whole intervention that ended up happening. Uh, you know, it was um, lots of counseling and lots of um, you know maybe we need to take you to a conversion camp and you know talk to talk to those types of ministers and mm. you know you know the the uh the change ministries as they called them back then uh to talk to people who have who have uh battled this this uh this illness or this lifestyle in one <laughs> but of course all those people are secretly still hooking up with <laughs> with Absolutely. each other inside of the ministry and all of these things so you know it it was not the easiest experience for me but i will say that um i'm i'm always very thankful that i had a solid group of friends who uh who were there to kind of like help me through it and look out for me like they were a little bit older but they were queer identifying as well you know and they kind of took me under their wing uh they saw that i was a young queer man and that i you know needed uh needed a support system you know, especially in such a small country like Bermuda. And so, you know, once once uh, all the shit hit the fan <laughs> with my parents finding out, they were the ones who were like, okay, you know, we're going to look out for you. We know this is really hard. So if you need a moment to just come and hang out with us and, uh, you know, somebody to talk to, uh, somebody who's going to kind of help steer you in the right directions and like keep you safe and give you the talks about sex that you know nobody else is go- is willing to give you <laughs> then we're here for you for that yeah so that was that was definitely the the uh the positive of my coming out experience so mine i would say this is where i get to say i also had a traumatic coming out experience but i will say family was not the issue so mm. I say in some ways I was fortunate because I only had to come out to one parent because I came out four months after my mom died. So it was only having to come out to 
my dad, and then I have an older sister. Those were easy. The person I shouldn't have come out to was the youth minister at the church. Right. Because I told him about this performance idea I had with like a knife and how I practice stabbing myself because I'm dramatic, obviously. <laughs> and he left the room. He came back in about 10 minutes later. He said, you have one of two options. Either you're coming with me or I'm calling the cops. Now, my naive ass went with him. Now, mm -hmm. in hind now, in hindsight, I would have told myself, let him call the cops. Cops ain't going to do anything. Right. But I was scared. So I went with him. I was scared. And I love how they say at 18, you're an adult. No, you're not. Right. So I went with him to get a psyche valve. I passed it. They told me I passed it. But he lied to the people after I was done taking the exam to make it seem like I was lying when I was giving them the answers. And as a result, I got locked in a mental institution for 64 mm -hmm. hours. Yeah, I can see how that would be very traumatic. You know, <laughs> you're like, look, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to express myself. I'm trying to be creative. I'm trying to, mm -hmm. you know, show you what I'm trying to do, you know, come up with these, these interesting ideas. And all of a sudden I'm in this room, <laughs> you know, locked in this space where I can't leave for, for a couple of days. It's like, that's not okay. Yeah. And when I got out, I do know that conversion very well because after i got out he the youth minister got me in a room with a priest who set me up with someone they called a therapist she was not a therapist she was a yeah, I'm sure. that, that worked for the church they got me in a room with her and on about i want to say session like three she basically said, okay, let's just try and pray this away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and clearly she was not successful. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why they try to do things like that. But, you know, I guess at the end of the day, when, when you don't understand something or you're not willing to understand something, you know, you, you fall back on, on what you know, you know, and that's all they, that's all they know. All they know is, oh, well, if you pray hard enough, maybe something will, ha will happen. Um, but, you know, I, I had a very, um, I had a very cool pastor in my church, um, you know, and he often tried not to, uh, like, condemn queer people in his ministries um right. but he he also um was very cool about uh just talking about hypocrisy when it comes to the church you know and, right. and people people um you know walking the walk as well as talking the talk you know one of my favorite things that he said to us uh, in one of his sermons was that um you know god is willing to help those who are willing to help themselves so, you know, he was like, you can, you can constantly keep trying to pray a problem away, 
but what are you doing to help it to help make it a reality? What are you doing to help uh, you know help facilitate that that prayer and facilitate that miracle? Are you actually doing your part in this equation, or are you just thinking that God has to do all the work for you? He was like, because God doesn't God doesn't help those who are lazy. You have to do the work too. See, that is kind of a nice thing, but at the same way, how am I gonna say this? I've already pissed off religious people. I might as well just tell the truth. It's like (laughs) that's still saying that like being gay is a problem. You know, I think it's just uh, it's it's all depending on what you consider uh, what you consider to be a problem. If you consider being gay a problem for you personally, then yes, it's going to be considered a problem for you. But if I don't consider that, then that has no relevancy to me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't consider my queerness an issue. I consider it a part of who I am. So, you know, I don't have anything that I have to work on when it comes to that, you know? Right. Like, I, I don't have any, uh, any issues with my uh, relationship with religion or with, with whoever my higher power is when it comes to my queerness, because it is me, that entity made me in their image, so therefore I am the way I am supposed to be. Exactly. So I'm assuming this like open minister was in LA and not in Bermuda, correct? Oh no, actually he was in Bermuda. But uh it, it was yeah, he was that's why I was like he was a really cool guy. Um and I think the reason he was so cool was because he um like my family is uh seven day Adventist. Like that's that's the religion that oh, uh, we yeah. we follow. But before he was a Seventh-day Adventist minister, he actually followed Rastafarianism. And he was, um, you know, deeply involved in that. And so once he, um, you know, transitioned and, and decided to follow a different religion, he still, he still took a lot of those same, like, ideals with him from Rastafarianism, you know, of of like connecting to to people and really like trying to you know build community. And so he he tried to instill that in any type of religious setting he was in. So I thought I always thought that was really cool of him. Right. Okay. For those of you who don't know what Seventh Day Adventists are, they're basically a step below Jehovah's Witnesses. Like <laughs> that's <laughs> I was like, yes, yeah. The Jehovah I mean, Witnesses, they're a little they're a little hardcore. Yeah, we're not quite there. <laughs> no, that's that's why everyone's like, they always knock at your door. I'm like, here's the best question you have to do, you have to ask them about. Where it's say, is it true that we can't celebrate birthdays if we become Jehovah's Witnesses? And if their answer is mm-hmm. yes, that's a, that's the way to tell you bye bye and slam the door on their face. Like that's mm-hmm. the, that's the easiest thing. Not celebrate your birthday. Fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's always been one of those those um, those elements of 
the uh, Jehovah Jehovah Witness faith that I always just found so peculiarly peculiar, like the fact that they don't want to celebrate like birthdays or anniversaries or or anything like that. I'm like, you know, life life uh, is short and fleeting, yes. and regardless regardless of if you believe in an afterlife or not, why wouldn't you want to celebrate the milestones? in both this life and the next, you know, like, it's just so weird to me. It's so weird because life can be challenging, you know, so why wouldn't you want to celebrate the moments of beauty and joy? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I should worry about offending Jehovah's Witnesses, but let's face it, no Jehovah's Witnesses watching this podcast. Um, (laughs) At least not that I'm aware of. And if you are out there, hi. Maybe. Hi. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, what is it like for you, as you've described yourself, quote, living as a nomad? Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, like I said, I've always had uh, had a job in my chosen career of, of dance and performing arts. And nine times out of ten, it requires me to do a lot of travel. Right. And so, um, you know, for the last, I don't know, five or six years, I've been in a show that is a touring production show, which means all I've been doing for the last five or six years is traveling. We change cities every two to nine weeks. Uh, and it's just constantly go, go, go. So uh, it can be it can be really um really challenging sometimes because you know i don't have the same feeling of like home base as everybody else does you know like i don't have the uh the option to go hang out with my friends you know (laughs) every uh every weekend or you know go to my favorite restaurant and you know start making all these um these regular connections you know i just don't i just don't have the option to do that with my career path uh and like my chosen um my chosen job currently so that can be very challenging especially like now like we're we're around the holidays right so um it can be it can be very difficult when you're on the road away from family during the holiday season you know luckily the people who i work with basically become like a second family for me and like you know we try to celebrate with each other so uh you know we right now we're doing secret santa (laughs) which is which has been so much fun you know um we travel with both adults and kids so uh you know, it's been amazing doing Secret Santa with the kids and and like seeing their faces light up. <laughs> you know, we're doing like um uh we're doing like a, a door decorating competition for our dressing rooms. So <laughs> everybody's getting super creative and like decorating their their doors. Uh, you know, we're doing like the baby game where we um post up pictures of everybody of everybody as a baby and we try to guess who they are. You know, like we we do stuff like that to like keep our spirits up and keep us connected and like keep uh, keep this sense of family and fun, even though we are constantly on the go and on the road. Um, but yeah, it's there's so many um, 
really cool positives about being a little bit of a nomad. Like I get to see so much of the country that I wouldn't see otherwise because, you know, most people, when they travel, they don't go to small towns. They tend to go to like the big places, the Chicago's, the New York's, the LA's, you know, that's where they tend to go. How often are you planning to go to someplace like Peoria, Illinois, or, you know, uh, go to Lubbock, Texas, you know, like some small little rink tank town uh, in like feeling like the middle of nowhere. But a lot of these small towns are so amazing because there's so many cool little, little gems like mom and pop shops. There's so many cool little like, um, you know, antique stores or history like uh we were just in albuquerque new mexico and that was amazing because we were super close to santa fe new mexico so you know we got a chance to go and learn about a lot of the um the native american culture in the space uh you know we got to go and um, have a tour of meow wolf their little um their installation that they built in santa fe so that was amazing. You know, like I get to meet a lot of really cool people who I would never meet. <laughs> so it's really, it can be really, really cool. I'm going to disagree with that one. Oh. <laughs> no, because I mean, I get, I get the, I get the like touring idea. I love that. First of all, I would point out, you say you would see your friends when you live, if you lived in one place. No, you wouldn't. Literally, my best friend lives in the next town over. I hadn't seen him in five months before, like, a week ago. Because <laughs> between, like, as I, as I tell people, like, doing this shit, like, I try and do one, two interviews a week. Like, I am busy. But. I'm like, I, I get it. it. I get it. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, like, the, the, the standard person who works a regular nine to five. They they kind of get themselves into a routine, right? You know, like most people who work their standard nine to five, they're like, oh, you know, I have my core group of friends who I like to hang out with, you know, uh, especially especially the gays, you know, the gays in like the, the major cities. They're like, oh, I have my group of gays that I like to hang out with. Like we go to the club or we'll uh, we'll hit happy hour, you know. We may decide that we're going to plan a trip together. We're going to go uh, go to the circuit party. We're going to, you know, go to white party, whatever. And that is very, um, you know, that's very standard practice for people who have, like, a little bit more structure and regular everyday lifestyle. For somebody like me who's constantly traveling, I don't get to do things like that. It just doesn't really happen. Well, no, see... I would say I have kind of like a hybrid of that because like I have a tendency to, especially now that I like know people. So like I have a tendency to like go to Fort Lauderdale and like kind of just do it at like the spur of a moment. Like I won't tell people I'll just like all of a sudden leave and then like they see me post pictures on like Instagram and all this stuff. They're like, what are you doing in Fort Lauderdale? I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to see somebody I've interviewed perform. They're, we're now friends, right? That's how it happens. And actually, um, one of my friends was so pissed, like, because he saw me like going down to Fort Lauderdale all the time. He's like, "For all these years, I've been trying to get you to go down to Fort Lauderdale." And it's like, and now you decided to go. I'm like, yeah, because now I know people. 
Yep. <laughs> and it's like, it's like I didn't want to go then because like you'd probably go to all the places that like charge you cover and stuff, and I'm cheap as fuck and try and find places that don't. Um. <laughs> That's yeah, that's how. Yeah, it's, that's one of the cool things about the fact that I travel so much. Of that, I've met so many really cool people. I've made like some really awesome friendships uh, in different cities and stuff. So now I have people I can go and hang out with when I'm in their area. So that's always really cool. Yeah, that's li- that's literally this. Like, I think my sister said she's thinking about moving to Seattle, and like she's lived in Montana for like years. I'm like. I'll come visit you in Seattle. I yeah. ain't going to fucking I ain't going to fucking Montana, but I'll come visit you in Seattle. Like I know right. I'm like, oh, Montana. <laughs> I'm like, who wants to wants to live in Montana? I mean, mind you, I'm sure it's beautiful there, but oof, that's rough. <laughs> this is this, this is the thing. My sister just came out, so I feel like she wants to get out of Montana now, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That's why so many people say like Montana's beautiful. I'm like, for what? They're like, they're like for hiking, for all this. I'm like, these all these activities you're describing are like a- activities that involve me going outside. Right. Like, like I'm used to being in Florida. Like the idea of going outside, you go outside like early in the morning. Like when I go to like exercise in the morning, I exercise at 4 a.m. when it's cool in Florida. Right. <laughs> Before I mean, obviously, obviously, I understand that living in uh, in the Vegas area, living in a yeah. desert where it gets crazy hot. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's always so weird to me when I see people who decide they want to go for a run, and they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna go for a run in like the middle of the day." I'm like, in Las Vegas? Have you lost your mind? <laughs> no, you wait until either midnight or you go at like three a.m. You never go any time before, like, between 6 a.m. and, like, 10 p.m. We don't do that shit. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I heard somebody describe that. So, yeah, Vegas is desert. I had somebody from Phoenix pretty much say, like, it's the same, like, weather-wise. I would imagine it's the same as, like, in Vegas, where it's, like, depending depending on what time of the year it is. I imagine it's cool out now in Vegas, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's winter. I would love to say that it's kind of cool out in Florida, but like a few days ago, it was raining, and I'm like, I'm like, we're supposed to be in winter, right? This has convinced me of like why I need to leave. I'm like, it's raining in the middle of December. Yeah, like, like no, <laughs> something ain't something ain't right about this image. Everybody says want to get into the like Christmas spirit. It's hard to like, look. when it's eighty five degrees outside. Like it's better better to have rain than snow. <laughs> I well, I'm telling you, I'm planning on moving to Detroit. I'd rather have the snow. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like I've lived that snow life before. It is way too much. <laughs> it just makes life so complicated. You're like, well, I I want to go to the grocery store. But there's snow on the road. Uh, everything gets shut down. It, it, yeah, it becomes a whole process. <laughs> yeah. 
but more power to those who love it. More power to those who love love a good snowy uh, city and a snowy environment. I'll talk to you next year and see how see how much yeah. I love the, I love this idea of the snow. I love it now because it's like it's well actually to be clear, it's not like I've never been in snow. I've just never been in snow for like an extended period of time. Right. Like I've been in snow for like two days. Right. Like that was nice. Yeah, it's probably a pain in the yes. ass when you live it. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've been in snow for months at a time. It is not fun. <laughs> Such a pain in the ass. Yeah. So what made you get into dance? Oh man, you know, I I always loved um like watching people perform. I was real I was a really big Disney kid growing up. You remember um like the Mickey Mouse Club? Do you remember that? Kind of, kind of, yeah. Like I, I remember reruns because I think it ended, yeah, like right before I was born. Right, yeah. So like, I, I used to really be into like the new Mickey Mouse Club, um, and so that was when, um, like Justin Timberlake was on Mickey Mouse Club. That was Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, Ryan Gosling. It was like all the young stars who are now like huge successes were part of the Mickey Mouse Club. And I remember I used to uh I used to watch it like every Saturday. I was like, this is my jam. Uh and I always would like try and learn their dance routines that they did and like I would sing the songs. Um I was really big into into Janet Jackson and Michael Jackson at the same time. You know, and they were having big videos out at that time. So I was really into that too. And uh you know I never realized that it could actually be something that could be a real life career for me. You know, I was like, oh, this is fun, but I'm actually going to do like a regular person job. <laughs> you know, I, uh, at one point I wanted to be a chef. At one point I wanted to like be a teacher. So there were all these different ideas that were happening. Um, but eventually, I had an opportunity to be in a local school play when I moved to Bermuda. And I ended up getting a lead character role, which was crazy because I had never, uh, I had never done anything like that before. But the lady who was directing it, she was like, oh, you have a lot of natural talent. So she was like, I, I'm gonna give you this role because I think you can pull it off. And uh, after I got that role, I kind of like got the performer's bug. And I was like, this is, so much fun and this is so cool. I could totally see myself doing this for a living. And it just kind of took off from there. You know, I started taking dance classes. Um, I started taking vocal classes and vocal training. Um, and eventually I uh, auditioned for a college program that had performing arts and I ended up getting a full scholarship to it. And, uh, you know, kind of, as they say, the rest is history after all of that, you know. Wow. See, I was that kid, like, clearly as a singer, like, I had been in choirs, honestly, ooh, since I was, like, five years old. So, like, once I started getting into, like, high school is when, like, all of a sudden, because 
I started becoming more and more like the Mariah Carey I envisioned in my head, the Christina Aguilera. So I was always the one that the choir teacher was staring at because I was singing loud because my I have a naturally loud voice. And I would do like those like dips and like vocal runs. But that's just, that's me, bitch. That's right. That's why like, I was always the one like, so like me and my best friend, I met my best friend in choir when we were in high school like all the rest of the kids would be off like doing the choir stuff and i'd be over there singing him this new song that i wrote and i'm like <laughs> that's that that's when i knew it's like that's when i had that vision of like oh i'm not i'm not like a background person i am a lead person yeah and then I'm like look i support that you should always be the lead person in your life exactly and then I kind of went to college. That was brief. Um, after high school, I went for about a year and a half. And then I'm like, nope, this ain't. Do <laughs> you like to say for me? Uh, no. And then I, I left and like, of course, because I needed a plan. I went to audio engineering school. And then when I went to audio engineering school in Orlando, that's when I started going out and performing. And then mm-hmm. I want to say I did three months. And then all of a sudden, like, somebody's like, I started talking about the vision I had of drag. And then, like, that's when I started, like, doing drag. So, like, as I always say, I have, like, the different experience than most queens. Because, like, most queens started out in the gay bars. I started mm-hmm. out performing in, like, straight bars with, like, I make electronic music, so like I was make I was doing like electronic tracks for all these other like sh- fucking straight white guys are sitting there like tuning their guitars to like play after me, and like of course, and <laughs> it wasn't that owner as I said all owners were always cool with me except there there was like one night so the week before I had ended my set screaming motherfucker in the microphone. And then the following week, I got told by the owners not to do that. Right. They're like, uh, maybe, maybe don't do that. Maybe, maybe fix something else. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm at a bar. Like, I'm not allowed to fucking swear I'm at a bar. But they said there's like old people in the audience. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll tame myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. Censorship. Hey. Fuck the man. <laughs> I still don't. That's why, like, Honestly, in terms of like performing, I don't really do it much around here because like in my mind, I choose to believe that the queens are jealous because like they can only do like cute little one, two like numbers and I can do half an hour to 45 minutes. Right. So yeah, they don't, they don't book me much. (laughs) And by much, I mean never. But like, right. They're like, we don't want this bitch in here. She's going to be over here taking up all our time. But I'm like, y'all should like that. But anyway, I'll get back to a city and start performing. So yeah. I kind of told you. So what was it like for you the first time you performed? Oh, man. It was so nerve-wracking. I, 
I remember that we were all so jittery and like just um just like so nervous. I was like super sweaty. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to pass out because I am scared I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna embarrass myself by forgetting my lines, or I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna forget the the dance routine and I'm not gonna know what it is anymore, or I'm gonna sing a note and it's gonna crack. <laughs> There's like so much that goes on. Yeah, there's so much that goes on. Um, but, you know, it's it's also all about um, the energy that you're feeling from the people who you're performing with, right? So uh, I think that really helped me out with it. You know, I it ended up being like kind of a life-changing experience that first time I performed when you get a chance to kind of go out there and just leave it all on the floor. That's like one of my favorite things, you know, when you're a performer, I'm always like, hey, whatever you're dealing with, even when I teach class and I teach uh, teach like kids about, about professional life, I'm like, whatever you're dealing with, uh, the stage is the one place where you can go out there and you can just leave it all there on the floor. Just leave it, right. you know? If you're having a bad day, if you know, if uh, you know you're feeling shitty about yourself, if you're having a great day, you know, if you're excited about life, that is the place to express it and and just share it with the world. Right. So I guess okay. So I guess I'll tell you the first time I performed with proper drag queens. So what happened was crazily enough, like the job I used to work had like had like showers at the job and like it was nice so literally what i did was like i got ready at my job and like mm. i had to drive an hour so like i wasn't in like complete things like i kept my sunglasses off to the side because i am a sunglass bitch because <laughs> from from the from the very beginning I just included incorporated sunglasses into my stage look so you bitch don't know how to do eyes so like <laughs> never bothered learning so like <laughs> so that first night i went into i actually performed at this like library that had like a stage on the side and i was i wasn't the only bitch who sang i was the only bitch with talent who sang but like <laughs> but I remember that was actually the night that I met um my drag sister. So like she saw me perform and I did um Blow by Kesha and like Nice. And like I worked the room and I felt like so liberated and I'm like and then that's not long after she like got back in contact with me and then that's when she basically like became my drag sister cuz she's like you have talent and I'm like that's the one thing I will say. Y'all could say I don't get booked. Talent is not my reason for not getting booked. It's jealousy. Oh. <laughs> like, it's jealousy. These bitches don't want me around. They scared I'm going to steal their gigs permanently. They don't want me in the space. <laughs> no, because, like, every competition I've performed at around this area specifically that I'm in, not in West Palm Beach, but around here, yeah, I've, lo I've lost, and the last time, last time I got robbed. Oh, because I I heard the person sing, and I'm like, 
I I heard myself sing and like they said, "Oh, you only lost by two points." I'm like, "Stop fucking lying to me, bitch." This is what I thought. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I should have won by four. Like, don't sit here and like bullshit me. Just just because you know the person who won and y'all barely know me. Right. <laughs> that, that ain't my fault because I like to support amazing queens, not semi-amazing queens. Mm. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> so... What made you want to start taking nudes slash underwear pics of yourself? Um, you know, I've, uh, like I said, being a, um, being a dancer, being a performer, um, it's kind of my thing. Uh, and I've always been very, um, you know, very comfortable with my body, but not always very confident. Right. Right. So that's always, that's always the, the, the thing that's, needs a little bit of work for me in my life is just being a little bit more confident in my body. And so, uh, you know, eventually I got myself to a place where um, I started getting comfortable, like taking and posting photos of myself in my underwear. I was like, why not? You know, uh, especially because I love underwear. It's one of my favorite things um, to, to like get for myself. You know, it's kind of, uh, I say it's like how I treat myself. You know, <laughs> right. Right. if I'm if I if I've been having a rough day, or you know, if I uh, you know feel like I need something special to, to give me a little pick me up, I buy myself some cute underwear because it's uh, you know even though cute underwear is great aesthetically for other people, you really buy cute underwear for yourself. It's for right. you to it's for you to feel good and for you to feel sexy, right? So, you know, I would get some cute underwear and I'm like, oh, these are so cute. So I'd, I'd like, you know, take a couple of pictures of myself in them because I have several friends who also like love underwear and are like, oh my God, like these are so cute. So I will send them some pictures and be like, these are super cute. And they're like, bitch, these are so hot. You should totally post them. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll share a few pictures and, and see what happens. And, you know, uh, I basically decided to start my uh, like my uh, Instagram uh, undersired uh, undersired dance probably during the pandemic. It was like maybe maybe a couple of months into the pandemic because I was like basically just at home doing nothing, you know, <laughs> and was like, well, I I want to find a way to both um, connect with people and to you know keep myself uh keep myself occupied find things to do right so uh i started doing um like daily challenges or uh you know i'd either i'd either participate in them or i would host them where we would do like a different underwear style or a different underwear color every day or like um like once or twice a week you know like and Doing that, I met so many uh, interesting people and like made so many cool connections just because people would participate when I would post it or people would be like, hey, I'm doing a, a photo challenge 
do you want to participate? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. And then I, uh, you know, send them a few pictures and then we start chatting, you know, really regularly. So it ended up becoming a really, a really great way to connect with people and, and you know, socialize throughout the pandemic. Right. Yeah. And like some of those connections um, have turned into like real life friendships. So I always think that's really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all, the gaining confidence thing, it's something I have definitely learned about myself. I understand that. It was after the pandemic, because this was the thing. I had always had a vision of myself like wearing pretty much kind of what I do now, which is like body suits when I perform. Right. But my vision, but my thing of what always stopped me was because I said like, I had the thing in my head where it's like, you're not thin, so you can't do it. And then after right. the pan and after the pandemic, I basically said, like, fuck it. Like, I'm gonna wear what I want to. And like, if you don't like the way that I look, you don't gotta stare at my body. Oh yeah. And it's yeah, like, you, you gotta build that confidence. It's it's all about that confidence. It's it's for you. You know, your body is your body. Yeah. And uh as 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 like a performer, as a dancer. We always struggle with body issues, specifically because, you know, we are constantly looking at ourselves in a mirror, you know, mm -hmm. hours at a time when we're in rehearsals and, you know, we're uh, working on new material and things like that. And then we're constantly uh, being judged on our bodies as dancers, you know, especially if you are classically trained like me. I, I you know, I'm classically trained. I did ballet for for decades and you know like modern dance and all those types of things so uh you know we're constantly told oh you you know you might need to slim down a little bit or you need to bulk up a little bit more you know because you need to look you need to look physically fit enough to lift the ladies even though you're even though you're fit enough to do it they're like aesthetically you just don't look like you're fit enough to do it so, you know, you start getting a complex. <laughs> you start being like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know what to do with myself, you know? So that's one of those things about me that has always made me um, really self-conscious because I've always been just thin. Like, I've always been very thin, very streamlined. It's always been my, my, uh, my body shape. But being a professional dancer, they like sometimes for you to be a little bit more bulky. You know, they want you to to basically look like a Chippendales dancer or an Abercrombie model. You know, like you have to have like a little bit more meat on top of you if you want to book some uh, some really good gigs. And right. so I've always like kind of struggled with that with that uh, that bit of my aesthetic. So doing the, you know, doing uh, underwear photo shoots and doing like artistic nude photo shoots and stuff really helped me a lot with that and like gaining that confidence that I really needed. Yeah. And it's like, because your body will never, well, first of all, it's like your body will never be for everybody. And that's like yeah. the biggest thing you have to convince yourself of where it's like, it's like, yeah, you don't like my body, but guess what? You're over there. I'm right here. Exactly. 
So it's like, you don't like my body? Okay. Don't look at it. Move on. Yeah. Find somebody else's body to look at. Yeah. And it's like, most of the time, the thing I tell myself, it's like, it's like, okay, you don't like my body. You white. Chances of Chances are your dick ain't big enough anyway. Um, <laughs> I was like, girl, girl, you letting your slip show. You sh you showing you a size queen. You like? <laughs> well, this is this is the thing I always tell people: being a thicker bitch with a fat ass, there is a certain size that is too small. It's just, it's not me being a quote unquote size queen. It's me just saying. If you're below six inches, you ain't breaking the floodgates. Mm -hmm. Love you. Not happening, boo. You're like, love you, mean it, but it's not happening. <laughs> and I feel like that's my responsibility as someone who knows that about myself to tell someone if their dick looks too small to tell them. I'm like, I'm like, look, I love that you're into me. It's not gonna work. Because I because I feel that's like it's very direct, but it's also to save them an embarrassment. Yeah. I'm like, I get it. And plus I say I can take six. Let me put it this way. Being with black guys <laughs> as I'd say at least for me, I think most black guys average is like eight inches, but like <laughs> that's <laughs> That's maybe my best friend told me. He's like, that's not true. I'm like, stop lying to me. You're <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, tell me the truth. Stop trying to, stop trying to, uh, <laughs> what do they call it? Stop trying to gatekeep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you like trying to keep all the big dicks for me, uh, for yourself. Share the wealth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what's your dating life been like? Oh man, uh, you know it's it's a little bit shifted at this point because I recently um, got out of a long term relationship. I was uh, with yeah, I was with uh, a partner for about twelve years. So, you know, now that uh, we're no longer together, I'm like starting to get used to the idea of being single. Right. You know, so because of that, I haven't really been dating much. You know, I'm still very much just trying to get used to being my being by myself again and not having like another person in, in the mix. Um, but yeah, I am one of those people who loves connection. Like I love connection. Uh, I've never been like a hookup kind of person. I've always been a friends with benefits kind of guy. So yeah, Same. I'm like, I've always been a friends with benefits kind of guy. So, you know, even though I am not actively looking for somebody to, <laughs> you know, to become my new boyfriend, my new partner, whatever, I am not All opposed right. to, to some fun with friends. Wow. So I will say this, like speaking to that friends with benefits thing. I'm going to say it's complicated. <laughs> it's like, 
he wants to commit. How do, this is this is going to be the hardest part when we get down the line and like I want to move and I know that he's not going to want to leave Florida, and he already mm-hmm. knows that I do. But he says I'm willing to try long distance, and I've never right. done that before. Mm-hmm. So it's something I'm not like something I'm like willing to try, but I'm like I don't know if it works. Yeah, I mean long distance can work. I've done it before. It is very doable. Um, I think it all depends on two things. Communication, you got to have really good communication. You got to be able to talk to each other. Right. And you have to have an end date of when it's going, when the long distance is no longer going to be a long distance thing. Fair. Yep. And yeah, that is the thing where it's like, that's the part we haven't had, but I figure we'll have that discussion at some point and this was just the thing i told him i'm like you don't gotta plan things tomorrow like right i i would love to move in january i don't have shit that situated i'm hoping by Mm -hmm. like june so we'll see what happens but in terms of in terms of x's i say i have three Mm -hmm. i have two that lasted a month I have one that lasted a year. Yeah. The one that lasted a year came to a like sudden halt all of a sudden because I we were living together at this point. I um had went to work one day and they had moved all their stuff out while I was at work and they left a wow. note with the key in the door, which basically had this letter where they discussed all the things in their relationship. And then towards the end, they're like, I'm transitioning. Right. And like, to, to I mean, transitioning from like man to woman. Like that's, mm-hmm. was something where I'm like, it, I kind of had the signs, like now looking back on it, I kind of had the signs, but it's like, yeah, I was very, I was very young. I was very close minded mm-hmm. to that because this happened when I was like, 25 and here's the thing i'm 29 now so like back when i was 25 i feel like we didn't know much as a society about trans people as we do now yeah so i she had asked me like it what would happen if she had transitioned and i said the truth which is like well we're breaking up right like and i know that's cold but and i mean I it, it it's not necessarily cold you know it it's just um you know it just has to be factual you know it right. it's we we are attracted to who we are attracted to exactly. and you know i know that for myself i am um i am very attracted to um male presenting individuals so that doesn't mean that you have to be cisgendered male you can be a trans man but if you are male presenting i am very attracted to that yeah you know and so if i were with somebody who um 
who was male and then they decided to transition to female, it would be hard for me as well to like right. continue being in a relationship with them because they are now transitioning into an area that I, I, you know, personally do not find sexually attractive. Right. So, I mean, that's fair. And then as you're doing the smart thing, again, as I said, young and dumb, so I did the stupid thing, which is I literally got in a relationship immediately after that. Mm. And that one lasted a month. And as this was the thing, it was the one time I tried dating a white guy. <laughs> uh, like, it's the one time I tried it. It didn't work out. <laughs> I would be open. Well, this is the thing. I dated the wrong kind of white guy because this guy was I was going to be polite and say redneck. No, this guy was white trash. Like, Ooh. and as he was breaking up with me with my apartment door open, he said in my in my neighborhood that was predominantly surrounded by black people, he said the words, all you ever want is that N-word dick and when i say oh, he's wow and when i say when i say he said this he screams this Ooh. and at some point i'm like i'm like i'm the kind of person who's like i don't care if this motherfucker gets shot i i, I will i will defend you like go ahead and fucking shoot this bitch like <laughs> you're like yeah at that point you deserve it <laughs> yeah it's like but as I said, karma's a bitch because literally, the month after we broke up, he got he um he got HIV. So I mean, oh yeah, that sucks. That sucks, but at the same time, it's like, hey, if you weren't a hateful person, maybe HIV would have stopped you, stopped from getting to you. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks when you know when things end up end up happening like that. It's always it's always like just a shitty feeling. You know, I always, uh, I, I never wish, uh, I never wish ill on anyone, regardless of how terrible of a person they are. I'm like, nobody deserves to go through that bullshit. But, you know, it, life happens. Right. As they say. <laughs> exactly. So, and, you know, it makes you think, it makes you think. <laughs> yeah. It makes you start paying more attention to your life and what, and your choices. And it's like, yeah, and it's like, that's why I'm like, and I actually, I didn't find out from him. I ran into, like, his former boss mm -hmm. at, a, at a bar. Like, I was, I was going to pick up something, poppers, for a guy that, that <laughs> I was fooling around with. Because this is the thing. I'm not a fool around person now. In my early 20s, since I didn't lose my virginity until I was like 22, so like during my early 20s, that was just a whole hookup thing. And then all of a sudden, I got older and I'm like, I don't like this. Right. Then You're was, like, this is actually not doing it for me. <laughs> no, it's it's probably in similar ways the way you feel. It's like, 
I don't know. I want to be able to have like a conversation with you. I want to be able yeah. to I want to be able to cuddle after we're done like not just yeah. like not just like get the fuck out like, you know. That's not me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I that's why I'm like, nope, the one-offs normally aren't that great. I'm like, no, I I would much rather it be you know, a regular thing where I can connect with you, we can talk, we can chat, you know, we can go and do some fun shit if we want to. <laughs> and you know what, you know what they want. Yeah. Although, although sometimes they do know how to surprise you. So like, so I, I haven't like topped very often, but like all of a sudden my friends with benefits like didn't tell me he's like, we were like sitting on the couch and then all of a sudden he just went down and like started sucking my dick mm-hmm. not that long ago. And then like all of a sudden without telling me, he just like lubed it up and then he just like sat on it. And I'm like, he went, he went, he went. And I have never come from topping. So like when he told me, he's like, he's like, you just came. I'm like, I did. You're like, what? It's like, cause I had felt it shoot, but I felt like it was just like, just like pre-cum, but all of a sudden he's like, and then he got his first load and then he was a determined motherfucker. Cause he kept on going. It's like, I'm like, I don't know if you're going to get another load. And then like a few minutes later, he got load number two and I'm like, and he like kept on going and he got load number three. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, I did not know I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm because like, you get new experiences in. Yeah, I'm like, you are amazing. Like, either, I, as, I, as I told him, I'm like, either you and I are, like, really destined to be, or you're a magician. Like, I'm fine with either. <laughs> <laughs> Which, that was, that was fun. And then, like, I am. It turns out, like, and then we did, and then I stopped the day before and it's like i'm in the first play like you're like this is happening it's becoming a thing i do i love it (laughs) don't try and treat me as just a fucking bottom again anyway so (laughs) so what's your relationship to drugs and alcohol i am actually very straight edge i have never been uh much of a drinker I don't smoke. I don't do any recreational drugs. It's just never been my thing. Wow. Yeah. I know. I am like a rare occurrence. (laughs) I kind of am too. Because like, I would say in terms of drugs, I've never abused anything illegal. So like, the thing is, I, um, from the last job I worked, I developed bone spurs in the heels of both of my feet. So what that is, is it's simply like if I'm standing too long or if I'm walking too long, it feels like stabbing somebody stabbing me in the heel of my foot with a knife. Yeah. So it's like back before I had health insurance. Love you, America. Love your health insurance system that takes you forever to get on. Not really. Fuck you. But it's like it took me it took me four months to get on health insurance. And oh, while sure. I was trying to while I was trying to do that, I was taking 
as I predicted, because I was in a lot of pain, I was taking like 18, 24 ibuprofen a day. Uh, yeah. And then once I got on that health insurance, I had to step back and I'm like, this is not going to be good for me long term. Yeah. So that's that. Yeah, and then, not. yeah. For alcohol, there, I had a night where, and this is my PSA out there to everybody. I always say this if you're going to buy a drag queen drinks, give them money. Give them money instead. It's better for them. So I had a night where I was just getting hit a drink after drink after drink after drink. And then I got in my car and I drove an hour home. Or I made it about 45 minutes, maybe 50 home. And I got pulled over by a cop. And luckily, my dad came to pick me up. Otherwise, I would have gotten a DUI. Yeah. So that pretty much stopped me from drinking when I was performing. Like, yeah, I don't do it now. Like, this is how I explain it to people. I am a singer. It is better mm -hmm. for my voice to have green tea or water than it is to have alcohol. Yes, very true. And that's why, like, and not only that, it's fucking cheaper. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I know. I uh, I always have this conversation with uh with my friends who are uh you know who are drinkers, and they're always like, oh, you know, how do you manage to save so much money? And I'm like, bitch, I'm not out in the bar spending like thirty, forty dollars a uh, a night just to have two drinks. <laughs> yeah, that's literally like. And uh, I will say this, for certain professions, I get it. I get go-go dancers having to be drunk. I completely understand that people are fucking assholes, and they try and treat go-go dancers any way that they want. Mm -hmm. They try and finger their asshole, try and, like, grab their dick. I can understand not wanting to be sober to do that. Yeah, but, I'd be like, uh, could you not touch me? Thanks. <laughs> And people think because they, like, tip people that they have a right to do anything. It's like, no. Yeah, that is a hard no. And, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in consent. Make sure you ask before you touch. It's not that complicated. It's really not. You know, even if you slide the tip in, I always ask them, it's all right if I slide this in right here? You know, I'm like, <laughs> that way you know where it's going. You know, you you, yeah. you ain't trying to top a feel and shit. <laughs> I would, even with, like, people I'm friends with, if I wanted to touch their ass, even if I'm friends with somebody, I'd ask them, can I touch your ass before I did that? Yeah. And that's somebody I know. Like, mm -hmm. you're talking about motherfuckers that you have no relation to at all, never gave you any form of consent or anything? Yeah, I'd be like, no, hard pass. <laughs> you are entitled. You are an entitled elitist motherfucker. Anyway, so what are your thoughts on how the LGBT community is being treated today? Uh, you know, I 
I have a lot of feelings and thoughts about <laughs> how things are going right now for the LGBT community, especially in in this country. Oh God, it's it's a little it's a little sad, isn't it? A little tragic. Right. I feel like uh, I I hate saying this, but I feel like the generation above us need to either take a step back or just die off already, so that <laughs> so that you know our generation can get us back on track because I'm so tired of, you know, mom and dad or grandpa and grand and grandma trying to take us back to where they were. I'm like, we, we, we've been trying to move forward. So, you know, so steadily and we've been doing it incrementally. We haven't been trying to like make these huge progressive jumps. No, it's been happening like incrementally where we've been like, slowly building steam and getting ourselves to the space where we are um, respected and seen as, uh, you know, individuals and human beings like we should be because we are. And, you know, the, these older people are in like, are just like hell bent on erasing all of that hard work and effort that we've been putting in and taking us back to the day where we, were uh you know in the closet and not thought of you know seen as something that was taboo and we're like we're, we are not taboo we are your neighbors we are your friends we are your brothers and sisters you know we are your your children we are your even your uh your husbands and wives you know what i mean like we right. are we are real regular people and we deserve to be seen and heard and we was deserve to be treated like as humans and as uh individuals with respect so i just think it's really shitty right now um with everything that's going on well okay i am just going to speak i'm not going to speak completely out of turn i am going to talk about the black community but i'm not going to speak entirely out of turn this is all you have to say to people it's like or this is just very simple. You go to black religious people and simply say, are you against adultery? And you're going to get the answer of yes. Well, guess what happens when you put people back in the closet? You're forcing them to cheat. Because mm-hmm. it's not like. Listen, baby, the amount of straight guys I've hooked up with and, like, all of a sudden, I get a text in my phone being, like, this is, I'll just think of a name. This is Dwayne's girlfriend who I didn't know about, but your man was in my ass, like, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm just, I'm just saying it's like you don't want to like put it like this because it's like that's what's gonna happen if you look at I'm gonna bring up some tragic examples here, but I should if you look <laughs> at people like if you look at people like P. Diddy mm-hmm. who I have to say allegedly who allegedly, although it's been proven, allegedly slept with Justin Bieber 
and Usher. It's like, that's what's going to happen. You're just creating an entire, like, society of men who are cheating on whoever they're supposed to be with because they're actually secretly gay or bisexual. Yeah. But, yeah. It, and, you know, as as somebody who has traveled extensively both here and abroad, it's it's a little sad, like, how close-minded we are here in the States when it comes to... Um, to like sexuality and you know just letting people be their authentic selves like i've been to europe plenty of times uh one of my favorite places to go in europe is sweden um and it, like i've been surprised by how many people in sweden that i have met who are so fluid and just like so so like live and let live when it comes to sexuality you know they are very much like I'm straight, but I'm not, they're like, I'm not afraid of the idea of having a intimate interaction with a man, you know, or uh, intimate, intimate interaction with a, a woman if they are female, like, it's, it just is so refreshing to, uh, you know, be in a space where people will just let you be who you are, who you want to be. Right. It is. It's beautiful. It's like it's like this is what some of us have like fought some of us theoretically have fought for. Some of us have had to go through again, like we both have. Some of us had to go through conversion therapy so that way like mm -hmm. hopefully now your religious people ain't doing that shit. I know it's yeah. still happening. I know it's still happening. It's still we're a thing. Never gonna, we're gonna, never going to be able to completely eradicate it, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But hopefully it happens less. That's all. That's all we can do. Yeah, I agree. And to my final question, what's the biggest misconception about you? Oh, God. I don't know. That's a that's a hard question to answer. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, there there are probably two that are like the biggest misconceptions about me. One is that um, just because uh, I'm a nice guy means that I can't be like really naughty and kinky and dirty. I always think that's a that's a very interesting misconception that people have of me. You know, they're like, oh well, uh, you know, Sire Sire is like so nice and he doesn't really drink or he doesn't smoke or anything. So I don't know like how much fun he would be if we like went out, you know, or like, you know, let's say let let's say uh, you know, we're going out to a gay club and it turns into, you know, underwear party. It turns into let's get naked and let's start doing some shit. Let's start fucking around. And all of a sudden people are thinking that, oh, I'm going to be all shy and quiet because I'm nice. I'm like, no, baby. No, I, I like to get my dick wet. I like to fuck. <laughs> I like to have a good time. You know, just because I don't necessarily drink or smoke doesn't mean I don't know how to have a good time. Right? 
you know, just because I'm willing to respect you and I, you know, treat you like the king that I feel you should be and the king that I want to treat you as doesn't mean that when nobody's, uh, you know, nobody's eyes are around, I'm not going to treat you like the slut you want me to treat you like. <laughs> you know, I'm like, don't, don't get it twisted. <laughs> so that would definitely be one of the biggest misconceptions that people have of me. The other one is that, um, you know, because I'm a dancer and because I, uh, you know, am comfortable sharing my body and like, I love, I love taking underwear pictures. That does not immediately make me a bottom. I don't know why people have this conception. I have come across so many people who are like, oh, you know, I don't, you know, you gotta be a bottom if you're showing off your ass like that. I'm like, no, no, I'm not actually. It's, it's not something that really interests me. I just so happen to be a model and I am comfortable showing off the underwear that I'm wearing. Right. You know, it's like, and like, I'm comfortable showing off my ass because I am also a dancer. I know it looks good. I worked hard for my body to look good in certain areas. Yeah. So I'm like, baby, you know, don't, don't let these pictures fool you with things like that. Come on. Like actually talk to somebody, ask them their preferences, get to know them. Yeah. First of all, idiots just. Oh my God. Literally just, this is the, this is the thing. If you're not sure, just assume somebody is versed until they tell you otherwise. Yes. That's the easiest way to like do it. It's like it's like I can understand why some people would think I'm a bottom because like the way I write my music and like until recently that was very true. But I'm I'm allowed to <laughs> clearly. Clearly, we've heard about your your uh, experiences, your excursions into the. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm, al I'm almost thirty. It was bound to happen. It's oh yeah, bound to happen eventually. But it's like okay, so the two for me is one is that I'm shady. I'm again, I'm not shady. I am blunt and honest and opinionated. Mm -hmm. But that's how you have to be. First of all, it's like anyone who's like shocked to, to hear them opinionated, it's like, have you ever met a drag queen? I'm one of the nicest drag queens. I have met some like rotted, gutted, awful bitches. Yeah. I'm nice compared to them. <laughs> And it's like I'm, I'm nice like, towards pe I'm nice towards people I like. Yeah. If I hate if I hate you, I'm gonna tell you what I think. But if I'm I like at you, it. I'm gonna be nice. Yeah. And then the other one is somebody told me that they thought I was intimidating mm -hmm. just from doing this podcast. I mean, from doing this podcast, I don't know why they would think I'm intimidating. It's not like they see me in person because if you see me in person and you think I'm intimidating, I get that. I'm a tall bitch. I'm six foot yeah. three. I'm six mm -hmm. foot three. Like, yeah. I can understand you thinking that, like, I am intimidating. But my thing is, come up and talk to me. 
Because this is my thing. I hate starting conversations with people, but I don't mind getting involved in one. Right. You start talking to me. And as long as you're not boring, meaning if if you start your conversation with last night I was so fucked up on G, I'm probably gonna want to pay listen even more. <laughs> <laughs> what I heard I had somebody on here describe how G is like portioned out and I was laughing this whole time I'm like I'm like you talk about the date rape drug right right you're like what's going on here no th- this is the thing gay people take this is the thing I will I will shock some of the straight people who watch just gay people take date rape drugs I do not know why <laughs> They do this voluntarily. Yes, I have. I have been to many of. I have been to many a party where people were were mighty fucked up, and you're like, "Wow, okay." And see, this is the thing. Like, I don't know. Well, maybe you're a dancer, so like, I would assume as a dancer, you probably been a well. No, but you're a professional dancer, so probably not. Have you been around all of it, or no? No, I haven't been around all of it. I've been around some of it. (laughs) I've been around all of it, and, like, I haven't done any of it. Yeah, I've been around some of it. But, you know, like I said, I am, um, you know, I'm I'm one of those people. I've never really been big into, uh, into, like, recreational drugs and, like, the hardcore yada, yada, yada. So... For the most part, like I try not to like put myself into this into the space. Right. You know, I'm like if I if I happen to be there and things start happening around me, okay, I have enough uh, willpower and enough you know confidence to be like thank you, but no, thank you, not really my thing. Uh, but I won't like actively put myself into that space. See, my thing is. I would be willing to try something, but I would have to know you for a long, long, long time. Like, these people who are like, oh, yeah, I just took some of my hookups drugs. And I'm like, I'm like, that's how you die. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You, you don't want to be that morbid, but it's like, yeah, that's how you die. Like. You don't know, especially with, like, fentanyl being laced and everything, you don't know what the fuck you're taking. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I'm like, you know, that that is one of those big things that I'm a, a fan of, too. You know, if you're going to try some new experiences, try it with people that you trust. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my first, uh, my first group thing, my first orgy was actually with one of my best friends. <laughs> and it was a blast. You know, <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I've never been to an orgy. I've been in, I've been in a couple threesomes, mm-hmm. which were nice. Actually, yeah. my first actually my first threesome, the guys were doing Tina in my apartment, and like, that's why I say I've been around it. And I'm like, I'm like, y'all are good. Because here's the thing: as gay people, if you're gonna be around stuff and you're gonna think, oh, I might try stuff know what the fuck 
the street names are for everything. So that way you don't yeah. end up taking the wrong thing. Yeah. Anyway, with that being said, it was a pleasure getting to meet you. Oh, yeah. Thanks. It was great chatting with you. You're welcome. And with that, this is Gay Out the City. I'm your host, Prince Electro Diamond, and I hope you've enjoyed.